Why don't you open your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. And this morning as we come to the end of our section on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. The last few weeks we've been talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, some people have confusion over this. What is the evidence that you are filled? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, you have spiritual gifts. Isn't that what happened in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and they preached the gospel and many, many people came to Christ. Well, there was that experience. But not everyone in the scriptures who was filled with the Holy Spirit in that first century spoke in tongues. And in fact, if you study the gifts of the Spirit, you'll find out that those can also be duplicated by our enemy, by Satan himself. He can actually imitate many of the gifts of the Spirit. So the real evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not that you have a spiritual gift, but that you have a spiritual character, that our lives actually reflect the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we look like Him, not physically, of course, but in our behavior, that we have the character qualities that are consistent with the Lord Jesus Christ that are mediated to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So a Spirit-filled life is a life that is under the control of the Holy Spirit producing in us Christ-like character. And I want to remind you that if you find, as we're going through the list, and this morning we're going to look at the last three, that if you find you're missing something, the real key here is not to try hard to shore up that weakness in your life. Because maybe you read the front of the bulletin last week by Oswald Chambers, who pointed out that what God is talking about here is not developing natural temperament traits, but experiencing supernatural power in our lives to manifest qualities and character that are not normal to every person. Somebody says, well, I'm pretty joyful all the time. Yeah, but how about some other things? How about gentleness? How about patience? How about some of these other things? Because All of us in our natural self may have a few qualities, but none of us have all of these qualities in the depth that God wants to build into our lives unless we are truly filled by the Holy Spirit. So the evidence of being Spirit-filled is manifesting spiritual fruit, and that comes when we're yielded to God and dependent upon Him. does not come because we're trying hard to be good Christians. I think it's an important distinction. The other thing, as I've studied the passage of each week, I'm adding a little bit to the, to the kind of whole body of knowledge here. And I want to say this morning that this list that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5 is not necessarily the end-all, be-all summary of everything the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There may be other qualities of the Spirit-filled life that are not listed in these nine that we find here. Although, quite honestly, if you have these nine, it's pretty representative of the character of God. 
But I don't know that Paul was trying to give us an end definitive list. This is the only nine things that look like the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Paul was writing in the context of a letter to a church that was in conflict. The Galatian church was fighting. Uh, they, they had false teachers there. Some people had been deceived. There was arguing going on. There was division. There was strife. Those kinds of things were happening. And in that context, Paul is trying to do two things for the Galatian church. He's trying to correct the false teaching. But he's also trying to remind them that the most important thing in the body of Christ is unity. And unity comes when the Holy Spirit is in charge. You remember Jesus' prayer in John 17, his, his high priestly prayer, his last prayer for us in essence, in depth. What was one of the number one themes of that prayer? Lord, that they may be one that they can be unified, that they will have the love for each other, that you and I, Father, Jesus and, and the Father, have experienced. I want them to have that kind of unity, that kind of love, that kind of oneness. And Paul knows that whenever a church is divided, we do not look like Jesus Christ. Whenever a family is divided, we don't look like Christ. When friends are divided, we don't... Because love covers a multitude of sin and conquers many, many things and brings us into harmony and unity that is a beautiful thing to see. And Paul is writing to correct a church that is in division. So when we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we see the things that he's listed here, we see their immediate application to people that may be having difficulty getting along. He's already contrasted it with the deeds of the flesh, and now he says, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, have you kind of accidentally memorized this list? Love, joy, peace. You with me? Okay, all right. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says you can't write a law about this. There's nothing you can say about this from a legalistic perspective. But when the Holy Spirit is present, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are evident in the life of the believer. So let's look at the last three this morning and talk about them a little bit. What is faithfulness? Paul says if you're filled with the Spirit, you have faithfulness. Now some of the old... Translations just translated the word translated the word by faith. In fact, it's the same word as the word faith, and uh, that's true both in English and in Spanish. I, uh, Pastor Hector and I were talking last week, and I was saying I usually look at the Spanish uh, of the verses every week, along with Greek and English and various translations. And I noticed that in Spanish, it's just the word faith, fe, but. Um, Faith. Is it faith? Faith. Yeah, that's faith. But in the context, it means faithfulness. And that's another way to translate it. Faithfulness is related to faith because faith is when you have confidence in something, you believe in something, you're committed to something. And faithfulness is when you're the kind of person that is trustworthy and reliable and consistent. 
that people can count on you. You have that kind of nature that is stable and solid. As I thought about the culture in which we live right now, I realized that as a culture, as a people, as Americans in the 21st century, faithfulness is something that is beginning to be seriously lacking in our culture. Um, It's like people want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, however they feel like it, whenever they feel like it without making any commitments or any obligations, or if they make a commitment, they don't want to have to keep it necessarily. Well, I may have said I was coming, but something better came up and I decided to go there instead. How many times do you see that kind of thing happening? How many times in the workplace do you see people showing up consistently late? How many times do you see people take a day here and a day there? They're not sick, but they call in and say, I've got the flu today (laughs) because my family wants to go somewhere and I want to go with them. And we see that happening all over the place, that people are not following through with dependability and reliability. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is to build into us the character of God, which is faithful. How would it seem if you went one day to have your time of prayer with God and you kind of sensed in your spirit that He wasn't there? In fact, He'd gone on vacation. He had decided to just take a break and kind of let the universe take care of itself for a little while, and he wasn't there to talk to. You know, Ron led us in a song this morning, but our God is a strong tower. We can run into that and be saved. When can you do that? Anytime, because he is always there. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will always be with you. I'm going to send the Spirit of truth and He will always be there for you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will direct you. You can count on me. The psalmist says our God is a rock. And when He comes into our lives in His fullness, He builds into us reliability. He makes us people that are trustworthy. You can count on us. We're going to be there. I noted some of the things that that we kind of tend as a people to be guilty of, just in general. Lack of consistency and promptness and attendance. It doesn't matter what it is. It seems like there is more and more a lackadaisical attitude. Now, now you say to me, okay, that's a cultural thing. You're thinking about a United States-European concept of time. This doesn't fit in Central America. This doesn't fit in South Asia. You know, you have a a mindset that that is purely cultural. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. There's still a, a, a dependability. You can count on people within those cultural mores in the system. You can count on people to be faithful. If you're in an African culture and any time before noon is on time for the morning meeting, you're still going to be there before noon. You see what I'm saying? You're going to, within the culture, you're going to be dependable. You're not going to just fail to show. And within the culture, in our culture, timeliness, punctuality, uh, consistency and attendance, lack of follow-through and commitments and obligations. How many times do people say, I'll do that, 
and then they don't. Or I'll be there, and then like I said, something else comes up, and they decide to go there instead. And all of a sudden you wonder, while I was waiting on so-and-so, wonder where they are. And they're somewhere else. I, um, I put this down. I realize it's a little tacky. You'll pardon me for kind of meddling here just a little bit. But um, one of our pet peeves lately around church is the RSVP. And um, we, we kind of have that as a pet peeve because so many things that we do depends on knowing how many people to plan for. And it seems like no matter what we do, when we put RSVP and send out an invitation, maybe three or four people bother to respond. And you're standing there saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to prepare. And I've talked to other pastors, and they have these same difficulties. So I thought I would look it up uh, on Google and uh, see what uh, online had to say. And I found this article by Donna Pilato on About dot com from the web and uh, I, apparently this is not an alliance bible church problem only let me read you what she says i hear more and more often and i hear more and more often and have found in my personal experience that hosts often do not receive firm indications whether guests plan to attend their parties even if rsvp is clearly printed on the invitation This could mean either one of two things. First, it could mean that rudeness is a growing trend in our society. Or, as I would prefer to believe, people no longer understand what the term means. Assuming the best, and that the decline of RSVPs can be attributed to ignorance and not rudeness, I will clarify this for the record. Now, I thought that was a good line because it segues into my next statement on gentleness. Uh, there's a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit going on here in Donna Pilato, whether she's a believer or not, I don't know. But she's choosing to believe the best about people, that they're ignorant, not simply rude. And here's what she says, and if you know French, please excuse my pronunciation because I don't know French. But uh, the term RSVP comes from the French expression, répondez s'il vous plaît. It means, please answer me. I've sent you an invitation Please answer me. If RSVP is written, it means that the guest must tell the host whether they plan to come or not. Either way, I sent you an invitation. Give me a call. Write to me. Let me know whether you're coming or whether you're not coming so I know how to prepare. It doesn't mean respond only if you're coming. And it doesn't mean respond only if you're not coming. It means the host needs a definite head count for the planned event. You know, I think that's just kind of a symptom of the epidemic that I observe, that people tend not to be thoughtful about being responsible and about making commitments and keeping commitments and being someone that we can count on. Faithfulness is a character trait that says, I will be consistent, I will be committed, I will be loyal. If you ask me to do something, I will do it. If I say I'll be there, I'll be there. If I'm going to teach, I'll show up prepared. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do because that is a part of the nature of God. And aren't you glad that God is faithful? He is the same yesterday, today, forever. 
He never changes. We can count on Him. You're never going to be surprised because God's behaving differently today. And that's a good thing for us. He wants to build that character in our lives. The second quality this morning is the fruit of gentleness. I've given a definition that a quality of gentle friendliness or meekness, and I loved this statement in one of the lexicons, as in a strength which accommodates to another's weakness. Did you hear that? Gentleness is like a strength that accommodates to another's weakness. How many times do you get aggravated at people who don't measure up to your expectations? I just talked about faithfulness. <laughs> but let's move on from faithfulness. Now you're on the other end. How many times do you get frustrated by people that aren't getting it? By people that aren't, aren't doing what they said they were? By people that are making mistakes? How often do you find yourself frustrated with people that have weaknesses that are throwing wrenches in the gears? And gentleness is the strength that accommodates others' weaknesses. It is an attitude and behavior in contrast to harshness in one's dealings with others. Always speaking softly. Or not raising one's voice. Now, I didn't say that. I took that right out of one of the lexicons. There are times when you need to raise your voice. When I fall asleep driving, my wife sometimes yells at me. That's a good thing. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> You're over the line! Oh, okay. All right. And then usually I stop and she drives for a while. But uh, that's a good thing. You know, if someone's uh, about to have an accident, it's a good thing to raise your voice. So when I say always speaking quietly, that's maybe overdoing it a bit, but you get the picture. A gentle person is a person who is not harsh, not caustic, not like dealing with sandpaper. They're gracious and kindly toward others with a soft, open, and approachable manner. You know, when you have the quality of gentleness in your life, it presupposes a couple of things. It presupposes humility and a sense of meekness. Have, have you heard the definition of meekness? That it's strength under control. And humility is the awareness that I am not any better or any worse than anyone else. And that I am just as capable of those kinds of foibles as the next person. You know, one of the things that I'm experiencing in my life right now, I don't know if this is just accumulation of stress or if it actually has to do with getting older. I hope it's not uh, a portention of things to come. But um, uh, I had a friend that used to, to tease me. He'd say, you have a mind like a steel trap. Um, I, years ago, I could sit, for example, in a board meeting, and uh, two weeks later, I could tell you who was sitting in the meeting, where they were sitting, what the agenda was, and what each person said in relation to the discussion. I knew that. 
I knew whether I had done something or not. I knew what had happened. I knew what you said. I deliberately, through my pastoral ministry, have not kept notes in counseling. Because if you have notes, people can find them. And uh, my office was actually broken into a few years ago. And uh, fortunately, there wasn't anything there about you guys that anybody could get because I don't keep notes. And I could remember from week to week everything that we had talked about and sit down and open the conversation and know just where we are. You know what? I'm not like that anymore. (laughs) I can't remember what I said half the time, much less what you said. And did we have a meeting last week? (laughs) Not only do I not remember who was there, I don't have a clue what was discussed. I have to make notes on things like that. And I have to go back and look at the minutes. I guess what I'm saying is I'm finding that I am forgetting more things more often than I used to. I'm misplacing things. I, I, and so sometimes I'm sure I said something. And someone says, no, you didn't. And there would have been a time in my life when I would have said, yes, I did. I'm coming to realize, mm, maybe I didn't. Maybe I forgot. Maybe I misplaced it. Maybe I... Because you know what? I'm fallible. And I make mistakes. And more and more, I'm seeing more of them. I'm getting a little gentler with other people because I don't always manage to keep up with it myself. I forget to do stuff. I tell somebody I'm going to do something, and I forget about it. That's the faithful issue. But that's not an issue of deliberately not following through. That's an issue of forgetting things. Sometimes your brain's just on overload and things fall out. You see what I'm saying? A person who is gentle has an attitude of humility that says, you're as liable as I am to make mistakes. You're as liable as I am to fail. Paul says, if you see anyone in a trespass, you know what a trespass is? There's actually different words for sin in the Bible. They all amount to falling short, but trespass is a specific kind of sin. That's breaking the law. In other words, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. This was a clear no-no, and you blew it. You transgressed. You broke the law. Whether it's the law of God, the moral law of God, or whether it's you know something out there. You see a brother in a trespass. The Scripture says, this is from Galatians chapter 6, the Scripture says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, the person who is equipped to correct the wrongdoer is the one who knows that could be me. That's the first prerequisite. That could be me. I could have stumbled like that. I may have fallen. And only by the grace of God can I say that I haven't. But I'm capable. And then secondly, you who are spiritual... You go in a spirit of gentleness to restore that person. You know, when you look at the 1 Corinthians 13, it's printed inside of your study guide. 
But just take a look at some of these qualities of love. This isn't exactly talking about gentleness, but it's in the whole context. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, doesn't brag, is not arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, does not can't take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness. When people fail, there's no joy in someone who has real love in their heart. I'm sad when people fail, even uh, when they're opposing me. It makes me sad. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. Love assumes the best. In any situation. Now, it doesn't mean we're naive. It doesn't mean we can't see plainly with our eyes. But the assumption, the underlying assumption of a person who is gentle is, you must have meant well. Or, you must have failed because there were other circumstances in your life contributing to your lack of attention, your lack of vigilance. I want to come alongside you and be helpful. That's the the component of gentleness that's corrective. There's another component of gentleness. We talked last week about kindness and goodness. Goodness is when we're doing good things for people, things that are not required but are helpful and loving. For example, our backpack bash is a good thing. Today we're going to hand out cards that say, come to our backpack bash. If you need school supplies and can't afford them and you're in elementary school or or middle school, you can come to our backpack bash and you can get school supplies. Now, if you're sitting behind the table handing out the supplies, you know, there's several ways you can go about that. One of the ways you can do is you can sit there and say, we're such a great church. And I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, and I'm happy that I can bless you with my wealth. People pick that attitude up. They instantly know that it's condescending. There's no gentleness there. Another way is you can sit there and say, here's your paper, here's your crayons, here's your pencils, take them or leave them. It's up to you. Just whatever you need, you can have it. But no warmth, no compassion, no investment. Gentleness has to do with the way we go about doing good things. It has to do with a spirit that communicates love and tenderness. A spirit that treats others as equals. A spirit that says, I want to bless you. It's my privilege to serve you. And people pick that up. They, they know that. Because a gentle person is open and approachable and plays on a level field. No matter who they are. Do you have in your heart this morning a spirit of gentleness? And lastly, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. 
The definition, again from the lexicons, is having a firm hold over one's desires, disciplined. One who masters his desires and passions, especially sensual appetites. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.25, The one who competes in an athletic contest exercises self-control in everything. You can't compete to win if you haven't brought your body under control. There has to be that measure of self-control. Part of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the qualities, is that He is in control of our lives, and our lives are under His control. Many people automatically assume this means with regard to appetites, sensual desires, uh, sexual issues, uh, hunger issues, drinking issues, whatever like that. But the fact is that it's more than appetites. It includes temperament and temper and our emotions. It includes personal discipline and management of one's personal resources. Your time, your money, the things you have. Is your life under the control of the Holy Spirit so that you have self-control in all areas? You know... God is not a spoil sport. Some people, I think, hear that and they think, well, that means I can never enjoy anything. I've got to have everything always just, you know, right here. I don't think that's at all what the Scripture's saying. I think Jesus at the wedding feast had a ball. Read the story of Jesus at the marriage in Cana. I think he had a ball. He had a good time. The kids loved him. Kids enjoyed being around Jesus. The Pharisees said he's, he's, a, he's a wine-bibber and, and, and a glutton. He's out there eating and carrying on. I don't think Jesus was in excess in any realm, but he was always under the control of the Holy Spirit. And with us, the Holy Spirit wants to bring self-control. You know, it's been my experience, and I just kind of share this with you, Everyone has different battles that they fight. One of the ones I fight is the Battle of the Bulge. There was a time that uh, when I was uh, in my 20s and working construction that I could eat three sandwiches for lunch. That time has long since passed. (laughs) That's not even within the realm of possibility anymore. But here's what I've learned. And I'm not disparaging any method. Please don't go out of here and misread me along those lines because God uses different things in the lives of different people. But here's what I've learned. Particularly with me, the only way that I can manage my body is under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I, I can't keep up with diets. I can't figure out calories. I mean, I can. It's not that I'm mentally handicapped in that area. I can I can do the math. I even have all the fast food restaurants in my iPhone and I can look up how many calories are in my breakfast sausage biscuit. I can figure that stuff out pretty easily. But what really makes the difference in my life is whether I'm yielded to the Holy Spirit or not. Whether I'm under His control. He can tell me when to stop. He can tell me what to eat. He can tell me What to say? He can guard my tongue when I want to say something I shouldn't say. He can 
manage me in all of those areas that I don't do very well managing myself. The Holy Spirit brings self-control. And so I ask you this morning, as you look at your life, as you examine what's going on inside of you, do you see evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with love for others today? Do you have joy in your life? Is there peace there? Do you find patience? Do you find kindness and goodness? Do you find faithfulness, consistency, stability? Do you find gentleness? Do you find self-control? I want to remind you, as I did at the beginning, if you lack these qualities, the bottom line is not to try harder to be better. It's not a natural trait of fallen human beings to be able to, by hard work, produce these qualities in our lives. It is a matter of being fully yielded to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to be in control. And you know, when I go through my day and I suddenly find myself acting in a way that is inconsistent with these, it is a reminder to me that I need to go back to Jesus. You know, I need to go back and find His resources I need to come back under the Spirit's control. It just proves to me that I have somehow stepped out from under the covering of His Spirit and I'm now operating in my flesh. And it's a reminder to go back to the Lord. Because when He's in charge, these are in evidence. And when I'm in charge, I don't do so well. The deeds of the flesh are obvious. Are you filled with the Spirit this morning? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Is He in control of your life? God wants us to be supernatural people. I mean that. This is, this is not normal stuff. This is pretty unusual. But God wants us to be supernatural people. So that... Others will look at us and say, wow, why are you so different? And we can say, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's the only explanation. And so that within the body of Christ, there is great love. Do you feel safe when you come here? When you're at a church function, when you're at a cookout for the, with the church, when you're in your small group, when you're talking to people... In this, when you're working together in a ministry, do you feel safe? Just think about that for a minute. Do you feel like the people around you want you to succeed? Do you feel like they love you? Do you feel like if you fail, you'll still be accepted and loved? When you stumble, are people gentle with you? That's the way we should be. 
That's the kind of family that others want to be a part of. That's what God wants to develop in our church. A place that is really safe, that is a refuge from the world. And a place that the world will look into and say, I don't know what it is you've got, but I want it. I want to be a part of that. Father, I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts and lives to build into us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if we take that self-examination with your Spirit this morning and find the deficiencies, convict us, Lord, that we need more of Jesus, more surrender, more yieldedness to your control. We ask you to manifest yourself in and through our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ and the unity of the body. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.